And let's pray, shall we, as we uh, come to this this passage. Um, as, uh, as Philippians 2 puts it, God has highly exalted Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank you that it is your mission, your plan and purpose to gather worshippers of your Son, the Lord Jesus, through the Gospel. Um, And so we pray that our time um, in this passage now would strengthen us, would equip us um, to be playing our part in that great mission for the glory of the name of Christ Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Have you ever had, uh, I guess mo- most of us have had a moment like this, have you ever had um, an experience where you've, you've, kind of, you've had a conversation with someone, you've begun a conversation with someone, which you, you think the conversation's going pretty well, you think you're engaging with each other, and suddenly it dawns on you that each of you are talking about something completely different. You know, you've had that? And, and, and you're using the same language. Yeah, you're, you're, you might even be using the same words. Okay, but what each of you mean, you discover is something completely different. Okay? Um, you experience that? I, I, I think a funny example of this is the famous Two Ronnies, Four Candles sketch. Right? Do you know, do you know the one? If you've never heard that, if, that is, if that's a complete mystery to you, Go home, get on YouTube, and, and, and put in two Ronnies, four candles, and, and have five minutes of fun. It's, it's great. Okay, it's about a customer, okay, who walks into a hardware shop, and he asks for four candles. And the man behind the counter, he dutifully looks in his box of candles, and he brings out four of them, and, and he puts them on the counter, only to hear the customer say, no, four candles, candles for forks. And so the sketch goes on with a, a growing list of, of misunderstandings. It's, it's hilarious. Some misunderstandings, though, are more serious than others, aren't they? And, and maybe nowhere more so than in the church, you know, where, where churches even can share the same words and the same language, but it's only when you start talking with somebody, maybe in some more detail, that you discover you don't always mean the same thing by them. And I think the word gospel can be a pretty good example of that. I mean, you, you would expect, wouldn't you, somebody who calls themselves a, a Christian to, to talk about the gospel, you'd expect that, wouldn't you? We believe the gospel, we proclaim the gospel, we stand on the gospel, we want to commend the gospel. But have you ever stopped to ask, what exactly is the gospel that, that we believe and we proclaim and we, we stand for? In other words, when we use the word gospel, are we all talking about the same thing? Well, the book of Romans is like a deep dive into the gospel, uh, if you like. It's, it's, a, it's a book that Paul wrote to, to go ahead of a planned visit to Rome. Um, you might remember in the book of Acts, we did it some while ago, didn't we? Was it um, sometime back last year? Uh, the, the sort of five-city tour that Paul does. Uh, he, he preaches and he plants churches, doesn't he, in sort of influential centres, Philippi and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth and, and Ephesus, and, and then declares his interest to head off 
inspired Jerusalem to go to the most influential, uh, influential of them all, the city of Rome. And so he writes this letter here before he then goes ahead um, uh, and, and visits Rome there. But he is also writing it for a wider audience, really the wider audience of the whole first century church. It's like a companion volume, if you like, to the, to the four Gospels. Um, that, that were in circulation, so, so, that, the, so that the young and, and spreading church would be strengthened, would be equipped uh, in their mission, as, as Paul takes them deep into the gospel um, and, and sort of soaks them in it. Um, that's what the book is, really. It's, it's sort of deep gospel. All, all of Paul's letters, of course, are, are deep gospel. They're all sort of saturated in the gospel. But this one is his, this one's his magnum opus. This one is his, his, his big, you know, detailed gospel treatise, his, his gospel masterpiece, uh, if you like, and, and written to take uh, a growing uh, but young first century church deep into the gospel and all of its implications for the mission that God has given to them. And of course, we are part of that mission aren't we? Because we pick up where they left off. And so that means we need the deep gospel of, of Romans as well. We need it to strengthen and equip us and, 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 uh, uh, because we've had the gospel baton, as it were, passed on to us, haven't we? And, and I think it's been passed on to us, hasn't it, in a day and an age where much of the church is actually under pressure to loosen its grip on the gospel, to redefine the gospel in order to appeal to, to a fast uh, secularising culture around us here in the West. And so we need the deep gospel of this book, uh, I think, to strengthen, to equip us in, in our age uh, with, with our gospel task uh, as well, including these opening chapters, uh, chapters one to four, that we're going to be looking at in, in this series, that, that I think get right to the heart of, of the gospel of God. Um, and what we're going to do this morning, um, if that's okay, is we're just going to look at the greeting, these first seven verses, which tell us who the letter is from and who the letter's to, which we might think is a bit strange, isn't it? Just focusing on the greeting. You know, if a, if a postman came and popped a letter through, through my uh, letterbox, you, you might say, I'm sure I wouldn't spend that much time uh, studying the greeting. What, 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 why do that? I, I think it's really worth doing that here. Because unlike our letters, you know, our letters state uh, who it's to at the beginning, don't they, uh, dear Steve, whatever. And, and then they say who it's from at the end of the letter, yours sincerely, uh, and so on. The custom in Paul's day was to write who it's from first, uh, and then who it's to, uh, and put them both at the beginning of the letter, as you'll see he's done here. But what he's also doing here, uh, maybe you noticed it, is he gives a kind of more detailed description of who he is, uh, and he also gives them a flavour of this glorious gospel that he's going to go on and explain to them in more detail through the, uh, through the first four chapters and then uh, out through the rest of the letter. So, so it's almost as though he can't contain his excitement at, at this, about how wonderful this gospel is. So that, so that even when he writes his, his introductory greetings, it, it's kind of spilling out from him. So I, I think it'll do us good, not just to skip through it, but, but actually to, to dwell on it 
And, and I think it will kind of uh, whet our appetites for, for what's to come. So I've got three headings to take us through this, this uh, introduction. The first one is the authority of the gospel. Let's notice the authority of the gospel um, in verses 1 and 2. And you might have noticed, if you're familiar with any of Paul's other letters, um, you might have noticed he takes well, six verses, that's a long time, to introduce himself. And, and that's because the church in Rome is not one of the churches that Paul founded. In fact, it's not even a church he's, he's visited up, up to this point. And so he takes more time than usual um, you know, in, his, in his opening greetings to kind of establish his credentials, to tell us who he is. You'll, you'll see he introduces himself as a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus. In other words, somebody who is completely at Christ's disposal. That's what a first century slave was. So he's, he's not kind of writing, uh, lording it over them, uh, as it were. He's writing from the position of a, of a humble, obedient servant of, of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the master. He's the Lord. Right? Paul's just the, the servant. But as well as a servant of Christ, Paul is also, look, verse 1, called to be an apostle. And, and the fact that Paul takes that title and appropriates it for himself, that's got a, 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 a direct bearing on the authority with which Paul writes, doesn't it? So uh, apostles, you know, uh, New Testament apostles, in the specific sense of Christ's apostles, they were people who had seen the risen Lord Jesus. That they were people who had been directly, personally, called and commissioned by Christ himself and, and sent out by him with his authority. So to be a New Testament apostle was really the equivalent of being an Old Testament prophet. In, in other words, a person uniquely called, authorised, sent by God himself. So, so Paul's introduction of himself to these Roman Christians is as a humble servant of Christ and yet one called and sent by Christ and, and carrying Christ's authority, you see. But, but even more than that, look, uh, uh, verse 1 as well, Paul also describes himself as one set apart for the gospel of God. So not only is he called, but he's set apart. That is, he's, he's kind of set apart by God for a, a special purpose within God's plan, that of proclaiming what he calls the, the gospel of God. And that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The gospel of God. It's not a phrase we normally use, is it? We, we might have phrased it as the gospel of Jesus Christ, which of course it is, <laughs> um, because it's the gospel about Jesus Christ and, and, and what he's done. But actually what Paul wants to stress here is not who the gospel is about, but who the gospel is from. In other words, it's not Paul's gospel, right, in the, in the sense that Paul kind of made it up or whatever. This, this gospel message, Paul is set apart, yes, to proclaim, and, and he'll detail that in the, the letter, but that gospel comes from none other than God himself. It's God's gospel. You see, it's God's gospel. He says, and I, Paul, you know, I'm called, I'm set apart by Christ himself to proclaim that gospel, God's gospel, to, to you. 
Now, I reckon that has implications, don't you think? Um, implications for us as we read the book, as we study uh, the book. For, for example, it's got implications for us if we're not sure yet whether we're a Christian. Because we can see here what the gospel is not, can't we? What the good news of Jesus Christ, which Paul is setting out in this letter, what it's not. Okay, And what it's not is just one of many messages or one of many ways that could lead us to God. No, this is God's gospel. And what it's also not is just kind of the you know, the religious thoughts and speculations of people from a time back in history, way back. No, this is God's gospel. Neither is it simply the teachings of the Christian church. You know, I mean, you're, you're hearing it this morning as it's preached by somebody within the Christian church, but it's not my message. It's not even the church's message. My job's just to kind of explain what's, what's written here. It's God's gospel. You see, the gospel is none of those things. It's much more than that. It's the message of God himself, says Paul. It's God's gospel. It's his truth. It's his message for his world. It carries his authority. Do you see the point? Now, it seems that many of us today, we don't really like the idea of authority Maybe we feel it kind of inhibits us from what we want to do. But friend, can I say, if, if you're not a Christian yet today, or you're not sure that you're a Christian here today, if you want to be in a wonderful, in a life-transforming relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it will only come as you submit to the truth of what God has said. It's his gospel. It carries his authority. But, but it's, this has also got implications for Christians as well, doesn't it? And, and for the mission, for, for the mission of the church. In other words, what kind of gospel are we sharing with, you know, with our friends, with our school friends, with our work colleagues, with our, our neighbours, with our, our family? What, what exactly is the gospel that, that we're, the church is preaching? You know, um, is, it, is it just a social gospel, right? Is it a Jesus helps me with my problems gospel? Is, is that it? Or, or, or is our message simply the application of Christian morals to the social ills of our day? Um, for sure, those are issues that should concern Christians. That they, they're issues that the Bible can be brought to bear upon, of course. But it's not the gospel, is it? It's not the gospel. Or, or is it just a kind of a, you know, a politically correct gospel? You know, do we find it easier just not to mention the inconvenient problem of sin? Or, or, or the horror of God's judgment on sin? Or the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way to God? I guess it's quite tempting to do that, isn't it? In, in today's um, sort of culture that's, that's hostile towards Christianity. But that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel of God is God's message for the world that he has made and he sustains and that he will return for. And we need to be confident to proclaim 
and stand on that gospel. So that it's that gospel we share, that gospel we commend, that gospel we proclaim to to the world around us. In other words, friends, it's only God's gospel that will save anyone. So it's only God's gospel that we must share and speak about and proclaim. So there's the authority of the gospel. It's God's gospel. Have a look now at the nature of the gospel in verses 2 to 5. In other words, what's God's gospel like? You know, what what characterises God's gospel? And and, and maybe the first thing we can see in verse 2 is that it's the gospel that God promised in the Old Testament scriptures. Do Do you see that there? In other words, through Paul, uh, as an apostle, um, uh, 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 sorry, although Paul, as an apostle, has been, has been set apart to proclaim this gospel, it's not a new gospel, is it? It's a promised gospel. It's not something that God has dreamed up on the spur of the moment and sort of, you know, passed along to Paul and, and, and the other apostles, like, here's a brand new plan. No, it's the same gospel that he's been promising for generations through the prophets in the Old Testament. In other words, the the New Testament gospel has its source in the Old Testament scriptures. Right? There's this this lovely continuity between the the old and the new. The Bible's like a a big big stick of rock. You know, the sticks of rock you buy in many a seaside town. Um, no matter where you, you break into them, that's the same message that runs right through the, the middle of it. I think that, that really helps us, doesn't it, as we approach, especially as we approach the Old Testament. You know, maybe, maybe as we read it for ourselves or as we preach through it as a church. Because it stops us reading it as though it were only applicable to Old Testament Israel. Or as, or as though it were just a collection of moral lessons. Or, or as though it weren't applicable now that we've got the New Testament. Because actually what we see is there's a, there's, a, there's a wonderful continuity from the old to the new. So we need to give it our attention because it speaks to us of the same gospel. So God's gospel is the one that he promised in the Old Testament, verse But also look, verse 3, it's the gospel concerning his son. In other words, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. God's gospel is a gospel that's centred on the person of Christ. And and you'll notice Paul goes on, verses 3 and 4, to kind of spell out, uh, if you like, Jesus' qualifications as as the person that this gospel uh, is all about. Have a look at verse 3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can see there, can't you, like like the human and the divine natures of Jesus. So humanly speaking, verse 3, he's a descendant of David. And that's important, of course, isn't it? Because the Old Testament promised that a saviour king, 
a Messiah, a Christ, would come from the family line of David. And that promise is fulfilled in Jesus, whom the, the gospel writers record for us, came from that family line. So, so Jesus was a human person. He was a, a historical figure. He was someone who walked on, on our earth as a man with a family tree that was traceable back to King David, just as promised. So he's God's promised Messiah, God's promised king. But more than that, verse 4, he was shown to be exactly who he claimed to be, the powerful son of God himself. And and something that was proved, verse 4, as through his spirit, God raised Jesus from the dead. So what is the gospel of God like? Well, it's the same gospel promised in the Old Testament. It's centred on the person of Jesus Christ, who is the long-promised, awaited King, the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God himself. But the other thing he wants to tell us about this gospel of God, notice, end of verse 5, it's for everyone. Did you see that? Uh, Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So, so, so Paul's saying that, that through Jesus and, and for the sake of his name, that means his glory, his, his honour, his reputation, Paul has received grace and apostleship, which means he's received the grace, he's received the undeserved gift of, of being an apostle. What, what for? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So do you see the point? The gospel of God, promised in the Old Testament, centred around the person of Jesus, is a gospel for everyone. It's a gospel for all the nations. Right? For Jews and for Gentiles. Which is fabulous truth, isn't it? And that's a truth with implications as well, isn't it? One implication of it, friends, it seems to me, is that we should not be parochial with the gospel. You know, Paul, of course, is a Jew, isn't he? He's through and through, is he? he's a Jew. But God has revealed to him that the gospel of God is for everyone without distinction. Paul's received this, this undeserved gift of being apostle to the Gentiles because God wants people from wherever to trust in Jesus. And, and so, friends, for us to want what God wants is not just to want to see our family come to faith in Christ or, or people in ride come to be saved or, or, or just nice, respectable people come to Jesus or people like us come to faith or whatever. It, it's to see whoever from wherever brought to faith in Christ. Do you see? There's a call there, isn't there, to kind of throw away our prejudices, throw away our snobbery, throw away our parochialism, or or whatever it is, because God's gospel does not discriminate between race or ethnicity or social class or geographical area. It's for everyone. Uh, One of the things you'll know we've been discussing recently, or members will know, 
is, is uh, kind of the extending of our partnership between Grace Church and, and St. James to, to encompass the church plants that are either underway already or they're in process at the moment. So James and Becky Pontin, you'll know, have launched Hope Church uh, in East Cowes. Uh, we're very close to, to calling, we hope, an, another pastor to come and help with the church plant down in Ventnor. Uh, Dave and Kat Corns visited us the, the other week looking to do something similar in Newport. And it, and it might have raised the questions in us, why? why? Why should we bother to do that? You know, I mean, don't we have enough to get stuck into here in Ride? Yes. Why, why plant out in other places? Yes, that's costly, isn't it? It's, 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 it's going to involve you know, giving away money and people and resources and so on. Of course, the answer is that we would invest in such a thing, as with our missionary giving, because the gospel is for everyone. So we want to be playing our part in getting that gospel out to the many uh, you know, more gospel-deprived communities that we might be able to access, so that the gospel can grow in those other places as well. So, so there's one implication, isn't it, of the fact that the gospel is for everyone. It should leave no room for parochialism. But I think there's another implication here, at least one other implication here as well. And, and this one is an implication for, for those who say they are not Christians, but they're happy that you are, or that others are. You, you, that's quite common, isn't it? You come across that. that, that some people are not, they're not massively anti-Christian, they're a bit meh about Christianity. That's fine for other people, it's just not for me. Um, if, if you're the kind of person that sort of, you know, you get... Get some benefit from that sort of crutch to lean on, you know. Maybe that helps you get through the tough times. But I, I don't need that. Um, it's not for me. Um, it's fine for you, but it's not for me. Thank you. See, according to Paul, it's fine for you, but I don't need it. That's that's not an option, is it? Because this is God's gospel, which means that it's the gospel. It's the only gospel. It's the one gospel for all the nations, for everyone. There isn't another one. There isn't a gospel that will be a gospel for you. This is the gospel for everyone. We might think we'd prefer a different kind of message. We'd like a, a gospel according to me. You know, a, a gospel that suits what I prefer. But the nature of God's gospel is that it's the one that was promised in the scriptures. It's the one that's centred on the person of Jesus. It's the one gospel for all people. It's got implications, hasn't it? So we've seen the authority of the gospel. We've seen the, the nature of the gospel. Let, let's, let's round up by looking at the radical demand of the gospel in verses 5 to 7. And, and if, you look, if you look in the, the second half of verse 5, you'll see that what Paul has been appointed as an apostle to do is to bring about obedience. You see that? You might think there's nothing very radical about that. Um, I think it is radical when we think about the kind of obedience this gospel calls people to. Because it's not a call to obey some rules, is it? It's not a call to join a church. It's not a call to love your neighbour. 
But for sure, those are, don't get me wrong, those are all good things. Paul will desire all of those things for Christians, but that's not the nub of the gospel by a long way, is it? But nevertheless, it is commonly said of people, of, of Christians, isn't it? Well, you just want us to obey your Christian rules. Or, or you just want people to fill your pews. Or you just want people to love everyone. But you see, the radical demand of the gospel of God, it's here in verse 5, look, is to bring about the obedience of faith. Right? The gospel of God calls us to the obedience of placing our trust, placing our faith in his son, the Lord Jesus. And friends, often we don't want to give that kind of obedience, do we? We might well be happy to give him another kind of obedience instead, you know, an an obedience that, that kind of suits us, in other words, it might be quite okay for us to see the gospel as a, as a moral code to obey, because actually oh, we're quite respectable people anyway. I, I, that's how I want to live. So, so we, can, we can live moral lives and feel all self-righteous because we're being obedient to God. We're quite happy with that kind of obedience. Or, or, or perhaps it suits us quite well to see the gospel as being about coming to church, because actually I quite like coming to church. You know, my friends are here. I I, I enjoy the company. You know, this is part of my social life. So obeying God in those kind of ways, ah, I can make room for that kind of obedience. Oh yeah, that's okay. Do you see? And all, all those things are important, of course, but they're acts of obedience that are the fruit, the results of the real call of the gospel of God, which is the obedience of placing my faith, my trust in him of surrendering my whole self over to him. And that is a much more radical obedience than simply coming to church or keeping some rules, isn't it? And it's a much more radical obedience than many will want to give. But this is Paul's message. It's the message that God has appointed him to bring to the Gentile world. And and look, uh, verse 6, he makes it pretty personal to his readers, uh, doesn't he? Um, Including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I take it that means you and me. Right? We who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The gospel demands this kind of radical, whole life obedience from us. It's a challenge, isn't it? So friends, the the, the message of Romans is the gospel of God. A message that comes from him and therefore carries his authority. It's the gospel that the scriptures promise. It's the gospel that's centred on the person of Jesus. It's the only gospel there is for all people. And it's the gospel that calls you and me to place our whole trust in God's Son Jesus Christ. And friends, this is the gospel that we are to accept for ourselves and stand on and and commend to the world. Why? Well, yes, verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith. But actually, ultimately, verse 5, above that, it's for the sake of his name. In other words, for the sake of, of his reputation, his honour, his glory. 
Friends, we read at the start, didn't we, in Philippians 2, God has exalted Jesus. Right? He's given him the name that is above every name. And, and said that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. This, that's what God wants. His mission is to gather worshippers of his son through the gospel. So yes, we're motivated to mission, aren't we, by the, by the great commission that he's given to us. Yes, we're, we're motivated to mission by our love for sinners who are lost. But even more than that, the highest of all our motives has got to be the name of our Lord and our Saviour. Such that we are troubled when his name remains unknown. Such that we are hurt when his name is ignored. Such that we are indignant when his name is blasphemed. Such that we are determined that it be given the honour that it deserves by all people. Do you see? That's the ultimate motive for mission, isn't it? The greater glory of the name of Jesus. Well, friends, my, my prayer this morning is that even this look into the introduction of the letter would strengthen and would equip us for that gospel task for the sake of the name of our Saviour and our King. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gospel of God. Um, good news about Jesus for everyone to bring about faith in him for the sake of his name. Please would you help us to be strengthened, to be equipped through it for the sake of the lost, for the sake of your son. We pray in his glorious name. Amen.